Joy is for you. Welcome to the Joybringer Podcast. The world is full of uncertainties, difficulty, and pain. It needs joy, and you and I can bring it, but we can't bring what we don't have. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Let's grab hold of joy and bring it everywhere we go. Hey, I'm Season. This is the Joybringer podcast, and I'm really excited because um, I have a I have a well, who's going to be a new friend? This is Celia <laughs> Bowers, which is fun because that's my last name, right? Season mm-hmm. Bowers, and I was like, um, it's not my it's my husband's last name, so it's fun. Um, <laughs> here's here's the thing: I saw you on TV here in mm-hmm. Knoxville because you, well you were on for many reasons, but one of those reasons is that you currently hold the title of Mrs. Tennessee International, right? Yes, I do. (laughs) And, uh, okay. So immediately someone listening might be like, oh no, a pageant girl. Right. But let me just tell you listening, you might know this, you might not know this about me. I too come from that land a little bit. Oh, so don't judge a book by its cover. (laughs) Right. Because let me tell you a little bit about that. So I was not raised in pageants in any way. And my mom had a friend and and the friend was like, you should have season do this. Season should do this. I was 19. So mm-hmm. I had already, and she said, because it could pay for her college. Right. And so I really only did, I did a little practice one and then I did Miss San Diego in the Miss America system. And uh-huh. because it was talent based and I was right. talented. So I did Miss San Diego. I won. And then I went to Miss California and, but I knew nothing. It was my first one. And I was the last pageant of the pageant season. So I only had six weeks between when I won and when we went to California. And here's the crazy thing. I, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And as I was, you know, I had built my platform, the platform for those of you who don't know is the the thing that you're passionate about. It's like a philanthropy that you're involved in. Right. Um, you have to have, so the people who do uh, many pageants, and we're not talking like kitty pageants. We're not talking about like two-year-olds with crowns that are bigger than them, but like the the world that I come from was like, it's talent-based, it's interview-based, which by the way is like the hardest, craziest yeah. thing you've ever done. And it's platform-based. Like you are a, uh, at least for, for what I was doing at the time, you had to be a full-time college student and you had to have some sort of talent yeah. and you had to be passionate about something, giving back in the community in some mm-hmm. way. And I was like, well, that's my whole life. So let's do that. And um, I I'm so grateful. It paid for my whole college experience. It was amazing. And what I didn't know when I got there was that I would connect to these 51 other young women like these are my people. Right. Because they were serious. I was always way too serious for my environment. Mm -hmm. I was always the kid in in high school who was like, well, did you ever watch Glee? I was was Leah Michelle. Like I was so serious. And so, (laughs) you know, I I didn't want to, I wasn't here to play, you know. And so meeting other women who were smart and driven and involved in their community, mm-hmm. I was like, these are my people. Right. And then I also got the bug that I was like, I want to be Miss America. And so for a hot minute, that's what I wanted. And I won non-finalist talent. Um, and I was really, and then I got the bug and the girl that won that year, um, 
she, that was her third time at Miss California. And yep. that's when I learned, oh, this is like a thing that people yep. do. They practice to get involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. All that to say. It's a sport. <laughs> it is for real, dude, for real. So, so tell me about how you got into this. Cause we're going to dive into your story. Mm-hmm. We're going to go there. I'm so excited that you're willing to share it with us today, yep. but I want to know how you got into this pageant world. Were you in it before the Mrs. Competitions? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Oh my gosh. And it is a whole like new whole world um, for sure. Yeah. So I'm 38 now and I was 36 years old. This was in like August of 2021. And I'd gone through a season of achieving and earning back my worth my way. Not necessarily the the way that I needed to, to heal. But, um, you know, I'd gotten successful in my career, you know, I had the husband, I had the children, I lost the baby weight and I was like, what else? And I was a nationally ranked triathlete. And I was like, what else can I do to like prove my worth and make me feel good? And yeah, so I was Googling and I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to do a pageant ever since I was a little girl. Mom was like, Nope, not doing it. And, um, yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I think I have the confidence now to, to pull it off. And I didn't, you know, in school and school, I had a lot of problems when I was younger and like junior miss came around and I had a talent. Um, I played the piano for years and, um, classical piano, like took lessons for like 12 years. Yeah. So I had a piece that I always planned on playing when I became a junior in high school. But by then it was like, you know, things that just hit the fan. And uh, so didn't do that. But um, so I just looked it up and I found like a pageant. And then the lady reached out to me the next day and she's like, Hey, you know, it's three weeks from now. And I was like, yeah, I think I need to like hire a coach and like maybe wait and do this next year. And she was like, I wouldn't encourage you if I didn't think like you had a shot. And I really just, I think you should do it. So my husband, poor husband, he is like just now used to like, Hey, I've come home. I've started a nonprofit. Hey, I'm going to do a beauty pageant. Never once talked about doing a pageant. And um, so, yeah, that's how it happened. I was like, hey, I want to um, do this pageant. It's, oh, by the way, it's in three weeks. So, yeah. Yeah. And I and that one, I was probably my most authentic self. It was my first yes. time. I cried during the interview. Like, I wasn't, I hadn't even gone through this healing era that or season journey forever season that I'm in right now. But, um, and now I can like talk about my story and not get emotional. But at that time, um, it was so, it was so new to be talking about it again. Cause I've written a book in 2011 and again, buried it and lived life. But, um, yeah. And I, you know, there was two titles and I received one of the titles. So I got to go to nationals and I, Competed for Mrs. American. I was Mrs. Tennessee American at the time. And then I got top 15. And then that was just a huge, like, that was such a, I was tying my worth to it. You know, that told me I was worthy. And then that told me I wasn't. But honestly, on top of all the relationships in the community that you build with women that you're like, these are my people. Like y'all, y'all get everything. You you get everything. You get what I want to have you know, good lighting and on top of like (laughs) passions and, you know, we're just phenomenal women. Um, the, the people that, you know, want to pursue it. And, um, but on top of all that, it was a, like a self healing. It was the, it was like the catalyst to my like healing, like deep, deep healing. Yeah. 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 
I I love that. And then so then you didn't win Mm-mm. and then you said I'm doing this again. I took a year off. I got okay. my mind right. I began my like serious intense healing journey and this was in 2021 is when it began in November and um took a whole year off and I was like I'm going to come back and I'm going to this time do it feeling worthy. I went on a self, I started a podcast. It was like my journey to self-worth and healing. And I, that's what it was. It was my journey and it was intense. And I, I got to that point to where I was like, you know what? I'm worthy whether I win or not. And I went back to the same pageant system. And honestly, it was probably a little bit of, it just wasn't, I was redirected. Let's just leave it at that. I was redirected to another pageant system who immediately took me in and see their appointed titles um, for states that don't have the pageant. So I immediately, you know, came in and this was last year. So I actually represented, I competed for Mrs. International in 2023 for the state of Mississippi because I have a business license there, my business license there, my nonprofit, I have go-to centers there. So I have a lot of um, affiliation with the state of Mississippi. Actually, there's lots of states, not just Mississippi. So I don't ever have to quit. I mean, my husband might overhear me and be like, oh my God, <laughs> like I got more years than me. But um, I was, anyway, uh, they, they are very focused on platform. And that is just like my calling is my platform is my, my, it's all, it was just perfect because um, if you place top 15, you have to speak on stage for 30 seconds with your platform pitch. And I've always been a writer and finding your voice is so important. Like it's so therapeutic. Um, but then like a lot of writers, they don't speak. Like you ask them like, nope, I'm, I'm best, you know, behind the computer or writing. And so I really had to come out of my shell to learn how to articulate on stage, not just answering on stage questions, but deliver a pitch as to why you need to choose me because my platform is so important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your platform is sur- uh, based around your nonprofit called Love Waits for You. Well, my nonprofit is Lead with Love. Oh, Lead with and, Love. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're good. My my podcast is Love Waits for You. Okay, got it. What's crazy is last year when I competed, my nonprofit hadn't even been established. It was in the works. Um, so this, this is, I've actually only had the nonprofit like official, like status 501c3 status since August of oh, cool. 2023. Okay. So yeah. where does all of that come from? Tell me, let's go there. So yeah. you wrote this book. It's been a part of your healing journey. Yeah. Celia's eyes is your book. Yeah. But, but before all of that, tell mm-hmm. us your story and okay. let's go there. I want to okay. know. So have you ever heard of adverse childhood experiences? Uh, not been in therapy enough. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Not the formal title. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. So a long time ago, um, this doctor, I think it was a doctor actually might not have been a doctor. It was psychologist or somebody, but they created like this, uh, it's almost like a quizlet that psychologists and pediatricians or, you know, anybody that's like analyzing a child, like they'll ask them these 10 questions and they're called adverse childhood experiences. And let's just say out of the 10, um, questions, I would, I like, I've had eight of them. So I've actually been training to become, I'll be court appointed, um, February 16th, uh, to be a CASA volunteer. And basically they work with foster children. They advocate for them. And, um, you know, 
when I was getting trained, the lady was like, so I want to know like your, your number. And just so you know, if it's like high on the scale, like I definitely um, suggest, you know, getting therapy this year. And she was talking about how, you know, the life, and I've looked into it since the life expectancy of someone with a higher score, it's lower. The, the probability that not only that they will get addicted or try drugs, but they will become addicted um, when they try drugs, that's higher. Like I felt it was like just another way that I get to forgive myself and understand myself whenever I like study that. Cause I'm an eight out of the 10, it's an eight. So, I mean, there's going to be questions like, have you ever, were you ever, you know, touched under the, you know, sexual abuse. There's going to be questions on, you know, experiencing, you know, physical violence, experiencing, you know, mental illness in the family. Um, neglect. Like it's, it covers like every kind of childhood trauma you could think of. So there was a ton of that. And, um, you know, I just, at the root, I think of all my unworthiness, to be quite honest, I think it was the I'll, I think it was the sexual abuse that I experienced when I was 15 because I wasn't able to face it and call it what it was until I was 37 years old after I'd already competed for Mrs. American. And see, my husband, when we were dating, he read my first book, Celia's Eyes. And we sat and we cried together. Oh, it can make me emotional now. Well, what, what, if you hadn't really dealt with it, mm -hmm. what prompted you to write the book? Because it's your, it's your story? Yeah. So... This is the thing in the book. I definitely healed a lot because basically if I, this was a pageant interview, I'd say it was an epiphany because it's you and I've kind of studied your content. I was leaving church one day. I felt so afflicted. I had been sober for five years. I became a really hardcore um, drug addict. I became addicted to cocaine and then that led to meth whenever that wasn't around. Wow. So age of 19, I had like cold turkeyed all of it put my faith in Jesus. And after church one day when I'm 25, I've been sober for five years and I'm like, not even trying to like meet other people at the church because I'm trashy. Like they, they know me, they, they see who I really am. These people don't, they, like I've been sober for five years. They see me as like a good girl. They don't know that I've had, that I've gone through things. And after church, I'm like, Lord, draw near to me. I like put my head down and um, I saw a vision of a scroll. I didn't know what that meant. And uh, five days later, I always journaled, dear God, in my journal every day, dear God. And five days later, I started writing. And then all of a sudden, you know, I can say this to you and you won't think I'm crazy, but it was like the Holy Spirit kind of took over and I wrote a book in three days and I was wow. healed from so much. I, could, I mean, I could go into the things I was healed from, but the, whenever I, my husband read the book and we were dating, he was like, Celia, you talk about something that happened to you in your book, but you're not calling it what it is. So I have a note to the reader for the rebranded cover edition of the book. That's like, Hey, I'd want you to know that like in this chapter, I'm depicting sexual abuse, but I'm not calling it. I'm still blaming myself wow. in the book. I was touched by God. I have all the Bible verses. I was still, there's a deep religious programming that I still needed to um, unravel because I have faith. I know my experience was true, but the fact that I was a little girl who's finally talking about everything and touched by God and writing this book out in three days, it's healing her, but I'm depicting being sexually abused. And I'm saying, well, if I would have dressed differently, you know, it's at my mom's furniture store wearing the clothes that I'm, that she bought for me, but yet it was, you know, a little bit above the knee. If I had, yeah. maybe if I had dressed differently, you know, cause we have to worry about, 
you know, others. And there is, because I was taught that in church, and there is that, but not in a situation where a child predator that's like known the kids that they were seven is then like, that gives them the um, go to like, hey, we're going to try to groom this child and, you know, so it was my husband, right? And he was like, that was how your, how it was handled was not okay. But I wasn't ready to still see it or call it that whenever we were dating when I was 34 years old. Um, I finally faced it in September of 2022. And it was just like the, I went and advocated for myself. I went to the police department. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I told the person, I called my dad. I was like, you know, did you know about this? Cause my dad, um, he, they had split up whenever I was two. So he's, you know, uh, like vice president of a whole healthcare network. He's very successful. He's a doctor. And he's like, honey, I didn't know. And, and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm finally feeling it. And it's like, I want to reveal to people that like what kind of trauma may look like. So they don't fear it so much. Cause even my dad was, you know, he works with children all the time. He's not a psychologist, but he was like, Celia, I'm afraid, like, are you, or like, he was like worried about me whenever my husband, he's like, no, you're the strongest person I've ever met when I got off by my dad. He was like, you're not going to have a nervous breakdown. He was like, you're purging. So I, I know I kind of like told you a bunch of different things or different directions. Hopefully you can follow. And if you have any questions, let me know. I have so many. Okay. I have so many. And I'm so <laughs> glad that you're, you're open and willing to share <laughs> all this because your parents got divorced when you were two <laughs> or split up. Yep. And... And he was successful, right? And mm -hmm. and and then did you live with your mom or your dad? Were you back and forth? I was, okay. So I lived with my mom mainly. And that kind of, I was just informed. This is why it's a journey. It's not an error for me, this healing, because it's deep work. And yeah. when there's so much, it's like, I'm such an achiever. I want it to like, hey, here's the end. I even asked my therapist, like, how long do you think we're going to be in this intense thing? And she's like, well, I mean, the intense probably, she has to give me kind of like a timeline. So she's like, but the worst thing about you, Celia, you're such a high achiever that it's going to be hard for you because you want to just like knock it out. And that's not how it works. Like healing, right. anybody that's been, that is on the healing journey or like understands trauma, like it's like, it's not linear. And, um, I'm sorry. I deviated from the question one more time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm curious. So, so you were living with mm -hmm. your mom. Yes. And when did, when do you remember, or what is this catalyst of like saying, okay, things got hard was, when did things get hard? So yeah, because my mom, my dad was busy at work. She just left him. So that was probably traumatic to me as a child, but I don't remember it, but the body keeps the score. Anybody that studies psychology, oh, yeah. I think there was that you know, and it might've felt like abandonment, even though my dad was kind of, he moved there and tried to like, like just stay in Tennessee, but you know, ended up getting married and moving away to Pennsylvania when I was five, there might've been something there, but all I know is in school, you know, kids are resilient. None of that, like I think was like under the surface, but it didn't affect me with my grades. It didn't affect me with, um, relationship. <sighs> Maybe a little bit with relationships, but I don't know because I was too young because I'd like a boy. And then as soon as they liked me, I didn't like him anymore, but maybe that's normal. <laughs> but, um, whenever I was 12, my mom had gotten remarried. Basically, she left my dad for a high school sweetheart that was asking about her. And um, so she divorces my dad and then immediately remarries the high school sweetheart. Well, whenever I was 12, 
they divorced and it was very, 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 very messy. She had had her own, this is going to get weird. She had had her own little spiritual awakening at a Benny Hinn concert. And, um, I don't know that it was, I don't know that it was, uh, God because what happened or if it was from God, um, maybe it was because I was going to be the one to heal the generational trauma. I, because it definitely certainly impacted me in a negative way. Um, because she came home and she was very fanatical and uh, going to church like every single day because she was touched by God and it was just like the highest high that she'd ever felt. And she finally felt love for the first time. So it's kind of really sad because it shows like her level of neglect probably she had as a child emotionally. And um, because that just feeling of love she never felt before. But anyway, they're, they ended up getting a divorce because I mean, she's just like on a whole other level. She's discovers, uh, goes to a Baptist church and they start like casting demons out of her and then it just doesn't stop. So that's my childhood at 12 years old is seeing my mom constantly, um, you know, people that don't understand that, like my husband, he wasn't raised in a church like that. He's like, I don't think that's really what it was. And I'm like, all I know is different voices would come out contortions. Like it looked really real to me and it was very traumatic. And so like, that's what I saw her experiencing. And it was just like, so awful. Like she would fast, she fasted two different times for 40 days straight, which eventually, wow. yeah. One time she had to be hospitalized. So this is just like the mental state of what she was going through. Obviously I was experiencing a lot of neglect during this time. So I was depressed. And then, um, the sexual abuse happened when I was 15 under my mom's nose, like at the furniture store where she employed the man since I was seven. And, um, then darkness came on me and cause I, I really, I think I dissociated from that moment on. Like I ran away. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like there are stories when I sat in court for, as a cost of volunteer, like it doesn't help you to hear, like if somebody ever tries to tell you, well, you could have had it way worse. Like that doesn't matter. Like trauma is subjective. I was such a good girl. I'd asked Jesus in my heart when I was like seven years old was writing spiritual poems. Like I, as a child, like something that would have just maybe not affected someone else. I mean, there's going to affect you because it was abuse, but it wasn't as intense as what I've seen, but it still impacted me looking back. I know because immediately I started cutting because I knew I felt like something was wrong and I didn't know what. So I was trying to like figure out and I'd seen it on TV like that gave people relief. So I'm like trying that and I'm like, no, I'm not really tough enough to do that well. So it's like, seriously, this is my mind. Like that doesn't really work for me. That's like a little too, like I can't go too deep sort of thing. So it's like, I'm just not right. And then, um, ran away, uh, to my dad, stole my mom's car and like, right. It's just like a bunch of things like that before I ever actually like tried drugs. And so whenever I tried the one that like fit for me, which was <laughs> like that made the pain go away, that gave me the relief that I wanted and gave me that feeling, um, of not just peace, but just like happiness. When I finally tried that, um, for the first time at 17, it was like, I was, uh, like instantly hooked and I was scared to death. I remember going home and writing in my diary cause I've always been a writer. And I was like, I tried that for the first time and it scares me to death because I like it so much. Wow. And yeah. And then my boyfriend and I, we, um, and I was in an abusive relationship by the way, at 17, like when you don't have parents that yeah. care for you and yeah. your dad's far away, like you're just like my husband and I were just having the conversation about our children, Tristan and Preston. I'm like, yes, Tristan is predisposed. Like I am, he'll find something he likes and he'll eat it till he gets sick of it. That's me. 
but that can be channeled into a positive thing. I am very like strong-willed, determined, overachiever. You put that person in front of and have them take a drug that they like, they're going to probably have the same with the same, you know, if they had the same traumatic childhood, the same outcome that I did. But we're just going to, first of all, I'm going to always be honest and, you know, it's probably going to scare them into ever trying drugs, just knowing my story. And then also we're just going to love them so hard and like be present and give them what I know that I needed. But to get to your point, um, it wasn't deep and dark at first. It started getting darker whenever it would take more and more to like get to that euphoric place. It's like, okay, well, I'm there for like a split second. Now I've got to do more. It's not like I'm good for two hours. So, and then I tried meth for the first time because Coke wasn't around and then it happened really fast. So it was from 17 to 19 that I was 17 to 19 years old, but I was a probably 17 to eight, probably honestly, the meth was probably only in my life for like six months because I mean, you just go downhill so fast your skin, you're not pretty anymore. Like cocaine, oh, you lose, you lose weight. Uh, and I've always like, you know, I was told when I was nine years old that I was pudgy. So I've always had like a, uh, I'm working on it. Like it's, I'm so much more healed. Like, I don't want to say that I could still have like a, like a, a disordered eating. Um, I've healed so much from it, but there was, there was definitely that whenever I was that age. So the Cocaine, honestly, keeping me thin. Um, it didn't affect my skin. I was still, like, I still, I never had my teeth fall out. Like, I'm like, God, I wow. feel like God had a calling on my mind because I'm like, why did I experience all this trauma and all this to, like, sit here like this today and not tell my story? So, yeah, it just got, eventually it got so dark. The only time I would get out of the bed was if I heard, like, somebody with Coke was going to be in town, like a friend that was going to do it with me, you know, for free. And, um, I was not taking baths or showers. Um, I was just like sleeping. I wasn't paying any debts. Like I wrote, apparently I wrote some, uh, some bad checks and I had to go, you know, once I woke up and got on some depression medicine, um, I went and like settled all that or whatever. I have like, what, a break. what changed? So, okay. So you're oh, like strung yeah. out, right? full on, yep. not functioning, strung out. Where were you living? At my mama's house. And oh, you're going to love this. So I had told God at like 12 or 13 years old to go away when I was being made to pray for it. Like they had their hands on my head. I'm wow. at this church where they like speaking times. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but the way it was like, and the, with yeah. the demons and all that, they were just yeah. like scary. And yeah. I wasn't used to it or raised around it. Um, they're like forcing me to pray over my head. And I was like, I looked at the pew and I was like, go away. <laughs> like, and I meant it with all my heart. And I remember for a couple of years, I said I was an atheist. So I was not like praying during this time or anything, but I remember laying in the bed in a fetal position. And I said, and I probably hadn't even done drugs in a, like a few days, you know, but it's just like, dark it gets deeper and darker and darker and darker like who you are like scientifically everything gets stripped away and you're kind of like like when the drug wears off you're like left with less and less and less and I was like um God or I said Lord help me in my head in my heart and then from that moment on I realized when I was writing the book and like going backwards I'm like oh my gosh like like my aunt eventually came in my room and was like, you know, we need to like take you to a doctor and like get you some help. So we went to like a family nurse practitioner and she prescribed me Lexapro, which was 
a help, a stepping stone. I don't take any medicine now, but medicine has been part of my journey and I'm totally thankful for it, especially being the daughter of a medical doctor. Like I know the importance of medication for certain people, but yeah, um, that was, that was it. Uh, God helped me. And then I was bartending and this gentleman came in and brought me the purpose driven life, which inspired me. And, um, I was still like totaling my car off 10 shots of out. Like I went from one drug to another. So I would go to the clubs and, you know, have like over 10 shots, which is a lot uh, for my frame and everything. And uh, then I would wreck my car and the next day wake up. My mom, I'll be like, what happened to your car? And then I'd start crying. It was like a wake up call. Cause I'm like, I don't even, I remember it now, like running into the, not another car, but like the side thing on the road, you know, and like messing up the whole side of my car. But like, I, I didn't remember it when I first woke up. So just lots of Lots of all that. And then I got in church. When I got to church, like I was on the prayer list and I'd been on the prayer list on the projector. <laughs> and you would think, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Like I'd be so ashamed. I wasn't ashamed. I like felt loved. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so pa so much power in prayer. Like yes. would people ra randomly message me? Because <laughs> I really miss the 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 idea that my mom and my grandmothers, like they prayed for me. Yeah. Like I know they yeah. prayed for me and I miss that. They're all gone. And yeah. so for the last, you know, 20 years of my life, I have felt what I feel like is the absence of that. Mm -hmm. So when the Lord has prompted people, women meant what to, to message me or to pray for me, yeah. and I'll get a message that says, Hey, or, or a phone call. I I've been praying for you. Nothing is more honorable and, right. and beautiful to my soul. Yeah than that to, to know that that there are people that care totally. to bring you and intercede for you mm -hmm. it, it's incredible and powerful yeah totally I, I definitely believe in the power of prayer to get me to a certain you know um definitely get me through the doors and definitely so you yeah. so you were on the prayer list and they're like oh she's here yeah <laughs> eventually and I'd go every week and eventually I'd be like am I ever gonna come off and eventually I, I live to the day that they removed me from the prayer list, but probably shouldn't have because what happens next was, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm sober for like four months uh, or four sober from even alcohol. Like I'm talking like a rededicated virgin, like I'm living the life and I'm going to stick to it and um, finding peace from just going to church, that community. And this is somebody that was literally less than a year ago strung out on drugs and didn't think that she could stop and like didn't think there was another way for her. Um, and then uh, I'm still at a bar, like bartending during the day and in walks this guy who just, he had the same wounds that I did, but he also had an addiction to alcohol. And he also, so it's like, I felt understood. We instantly clicked. He'd been misunderstood before and he had a good heart when he wasn't drinking, but the drinking just brought out all of his demons. And eventually that was a very abusive relationship where I almost like died one night. Um, and it was super uh, climatic. Yeah. I just, it was, um, he was drinking and then I tried to leave and he wouldn't let me leave. And then I picked up a door that was, he'd get mad and like punch it. So it already been like off one of the hinges, but he just like with anger just pulls it all off. And then, hits me twice with the door. And, uh, at the end of the day, 
you know, go to the hospital, um, I go back to him. So I understand. So that's where you might see me at a women's center because I understand. Because at the root of it is like emptiness, unhealed trauma. That's what drives us to drugs. And that's what keeps us and drives us to people that have the same unhealed trauma and like keeps us there longer than we should stay. So it's like, I really have a heart for women that like just can't break free from that either. Cause it's just enough. The breaking free from that felt just like the breaking free from the drugs. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and it, it almost hurts more, right? Because that's, mm -hmm. It feels like it's a healthy, like at least it's not drugs, right? I have yeah. this person who says they love me. They do. And they do. That's the thing. Yeah. He would cry when he was um, sober, like about the things he would do and he was drinking, but I couldn't save him just like I couldn't save my mom. Just like I can't save the person I was trying to save yesterday that was having a crisis with their house. Like that's always going to be in me to want to save and fix people. Like it's in my DNA and upbringing, but you've got to just like be mindful of, like your tendency towards that and like kind of snip it in the bud. Okay. So you go through this I'm crazy. Take a my, my seltzer water. <laughs> <laughs> Using all your words. So <laughs> you, you get through this relationship. Mm -hmm. it, it's gone. Yeah. You were back on the prayer list. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. And so then, then what? How did we really like launch on this journey of, you know, when did you meet your husband? Okay. So back on the prayer list, doing the the church thing for like five years. Then I did the book and um, that was at 25. I met my husband whenever I was 33 or I was in, yeah, I was 33 years old when I met my husband. So oh, now we're at, that's when I was. Yeah. Now we're at uh, 25 and I wrote the book and it was so healing. And then I'm like, OMG, like, I just like, it's like four lines of fake cocaine on the cover. With, and it's just like, I kind of buried it for a while and then like gained more life experience, you know? Um, and I, I needed to build a career and maybe I could have done that simultaneously as being fully seen Celia with all of her stuff, but maybe it was also part of the plan for me to kind of set that to the side, know that I had a huge, huge calling and I was going to do something with it someday, but I had to live some more and I had to like hurt some more in relationships. And, um, you know, I met my husband at like, but nothing was crazy from then on crazy. I was celibate. I was, uh, you know, I was just like doing to the best of my ability. I was not sinning. I still had, the thing is that causes people to sin, I believe, is like unhealed trauma. So there was so much unhealed trauma, like it was just hard for me not to, but I wasn't sinning in the direction of hard drugs, never tried them again. But I would maybe uh, have shots, even after I wrote the book, I remember the first time I was got drunk and I like smoked a cigarette with a friend. I remember I was crying. I was so devastated because I was like, you know, I wrote this book. I'm supposed to like be like for God, like forever. And she was like, you really set yourself up for like failure when you wrote that book because like nobody can live up to that. Um, cause I was so much on like the actions itself instead of like healing the, what was causing the self-destructive behaviors. I was just like trying to control my sins. Yeah. So there's a ton of that where I went to church, but it's like, I wasn't super at that. Cause when you get touched by God, if you've ever been touched by God, you don't stay there. Like it's like to let you know 
what is possible. But like, if you stayed there, you wouldn't relate to anybody. Like nobody would want to read your book. Nobody would want to watch your podcast. If you were like in this constant state of euphoria where you're like, I'm like one with Jesus right now. Like they'd be like, okay, you're crazy. So it's like, I had to kind of like, I feel like, um, just go explore and live some more. And, uh, that's what I did. And I met my husband on match.com and it was, I had started reading a return to love, uh, by Marianne Williamson, which I, and it was after a breakup that I broke up with, but it was a very serious relationship. And I even was like, okay, like I made a mistake. I don't want to break up anymore. Cause it was so painful to be by myself with all of my unhealed trauma that yeah. I masked through the relationship. And, uh, he was like, no, I don't want to get back with you. And so it was just like, I was feeling that. But when I met my husband, Dane, he was like, uh, not a savior, but he was like my hero because he was everything I'd ever wanted. Everything that like in poetry that I'd written about, like that I was going to have one day. And he, and he like saw like my worth. So I was like, let's just say, let's just put us here. Like, so I felt like I was here and like Dane was like here. So, oh no, my, my ring light died. Oh well. <laughs> so I'm like here. And then as I've continued to heal and grow through this like nurturing relationship, it's like, I'm gone here. And then you'd think in most relationships, a lot of divorce happen because you outgrow people, but he just keeps going with me. It's like, I called up to him and then we just keep going. But you know, one of my girlfriends was saying the other day, you know, Dane deserves a Grammy because he was right after the Grammys because we were talking about, man, he came at like the perfect timing for you. You know, I can't, I get the credit for my growth and my healing, but you can only go so far if you like are one of those people that like really wants family or really wants a, another person relationship. It's like in your healing journey, you can only do so much on your own. And like, it's just really, um, a lot of credit comes to that. And then I will say, um, in 2000, July of 2022, I quit drinking alcohol. I was never an alcoholic, but I had so much, I was still trying to run from that. It was time that I just, you know, two drinks never been fun for me. Like I want to do more than that. And that's like not healthy. So logically speaking, I was finally ready to make a logical decision. Like, you know, it doesn't serve me. So I'm just going to stop. And um, I stopped and I haven't done that. And that is when all of my nonprofit stuff started happening. Because at that point, I'm not a hypocrite. I can go and talk to these women. I can go and talk to these people because I've never been fully sober. And people say, oh my gosh, what an anomaly. Like even in 12 steps, they teach you, you know, you quit alcohol, you can't, you know, smoke pot or you can't like do it just a little bit. You've got to like cut it completely. And I was still dabbling in, you know, smoking pot for relief sometimes or taking a gummy. I was, you know, it was like this secret thing that I had going on, but I was still not touching the hard drugs. I would never go back to that. I was delivered from that. So I've lived a complete sobriety like life since July of 2022. And then that's whenever I really fell into Every day I know I'm like working towards what I'm supposed to work towards. What is it that you have wrestled through as far as forgiveness? So you talk so much about this, this overachieve, this high achieve mm -hmm. life and becoming like through all of that, all of the trauma, all of the addiction, all of the abuse, sexual, emotional, physical, and, mm -hmm. and substance, you 
are shedding all of that. You've shed so mm -hmm. much of it in your life, but you, we all replace it, right? There's this need, there's this like whole, we say, you know, you even alluded to this idea of like the thought that God's more interested in your behavioral correction, right? Mm -hmm. than your heart posture. Right. But the invitation, it, it really truly is, is to just receive love. Mm -hmm. to, to just receive love that God's not looking for you to accomplish anything. No. God's not looking for you to change your behavior so that you are worthy of anything, mm -hmm. yeah. but to just simply receive his totally. love and to receive his forgiveness. So all for February, the joy bringer challenge mm -hmm. this month is about forgiveness to receive it and then go on that journey to, to, to grant it, to give it, to release people from the prison that you've locked yourself in, right? Right. And so tell me about how that's been for you. How are you able to, without the caveat that you have to earn or achieve, are you able to really receive love and how have you worked, how have you received the forgiveness mm -hmm. and how have you worked on, on uh, practicing it? So, I think, you know, as far as forgiving myself, as soon as I started studying the nervous system and understanding like the measures I took as a child were, you know, honestly, they kept me here. I like no longer shame that little girl. I honor her for not taking her life and leaving, you know? Um, so I forgive her. Um, I receive, I learned to receive love through my husband to receive it unconditionally and Trust me, like there was an issue at some point with us because eventually I, all of it had to surf like during this, all of it had to surface, but he proved he loved me. And, um, so I have that. And then as far as my giving forgiveness to others, the way I do it is I, I think about like what their childhood must've been like, what they went yeah. through. It's like, I always try to seek to understand just like I want to be understood. Just like I teach through my nonprofit and my workshops, you know, um, inspiring others to lead with love and compassion versus judgment, because you don't know what their childhood was like. You don't know what brought them to that point. What if they're another person that's going to get through it all. And then you're the bad guy for like pointing your finger and judging them instead of loving them. Um, which is the case for a lot of the people, if you can imagine, that might have thought of me. My husband says I have Michael Jordan syndrome. You know, he always is like, this is for the people that didn't believe in me. You know, all this achievement because, you know, there were people that was like, she's a lost cause, trash, whatever. And like, funny on you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with my mom, I'll say that's the, the hardest thing, the forgiveness, because I just faced that wound for the first time. The fact that because she had hired him back. And I think that was part of why I never wanted to call it what it was because it's like, you know, how could a mom do that? Um, yeah. But, you know, so there's a lot of pain there. And what I've learned is I can forgive her. I can send her loving thoughts and energies through, through prayer. I can, you know, want the best for her, but if it hurts me, like if someone's ever abused you and I will say this forever, whether it's your mom or your dad, if there's been abuse and, you know, and in that case, there was emotional abuse. There was, um, you know, parentification, um, in emotional, which is like emotional incest and all that stuff. Um, so that was there. 
if there is so much pain, whenever you communicate with that person, you're like, it's for your best interest to forgive them, but I don't have to be close to them or have a relationship. And I know some people might like cringe at that, but that's nope. my, that's my truth. And that's, nope. yeah, <laughs> that is not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness <laughs> and reconciliation are very different things. Yeah. And so when we, I, I got an email this week from somebody who said, you know, how do I, how do I do this? I, I don't know if I can have them around me anymore. I'm like, yes. no, totally separate issues. Yeah. Forgiveness is work that we do to release people yeah. so that we're not, we're bound by bitterness, mm -hmm. anger, and resentment. Totally. We're bound. They don't care. Right. Yeah. You know, you're, we spend so much time and energy what hating someone, thinking that it will affect their life. It doesn't. Most people don't care or even know that you're angry with them or that you have a yeah. problem with them. And so we release that. We work on that for our own heart's sake to, mm -hmm. to reconcile with ourselves, reconcile with our heart so that we can be loved and receive love. But to, to reconcile in relationship with someone that's a, to a totally different thing. We yeah. have boundaries based on what's healthy for us and those around us. Totally. And it does not, they're, they do not equate. They're not the same thing. So yeah. that's really important for us to talk about because <laughs> yeah. people listening, they think, oh, you know, especially because the church might say, oh, you should be in relationship with yeah. your parent mm -hmm. or your whatever, you know, whatever. But that's not, that's not the invitation uh, especially for this Joybringer challenge, it's really a matter of recognizing the the barriers that we have to receive the love of the Lord and the barriers in us giving love away. Mm -hmm. It's it's the bitterness, anger, and resentment. We turn cynical, we turn hard hearted, right. we yeah. stop receiving love, and then we learn to cope in different ways. We learn that. I will receive quote love if I can produce, right? Then right. I'm worthy because I do things versus receiving love for just being who you are. Right. And that's what the Lord ultimately wants us to do is to to truly just he he loved us first before we could do anything. Yeah. Before you could, you know, accomplish X Y and Z, you are loved, you were loved, you are and you can't ever be loved more than you are right now. So, yeah forgiving your mother it's really a challenge to forgive someone who doesn't defend you who mm -hmm. doesn't fight for you mm -hmm. who has neglected their role as a protector or a provider for you yeah that's really hard to do and the only like you were saying what one of the ways that we do that is by recognizing the deficit in her, mm -hmm. her life right not understanding how making the choice um, or, or not knowing how to make that choice and to say she has things in her life mm -hmm. that, that you might not know about. Mm -hmm. um, I just did a whole podcast about uh, learning things about my mom that I never knew. And because there were all these secrets surrounding her life that 20 years after her death, I'm only finding out about. And, right. and those secrets make so much sense putting it all together and going, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I get why yeah. she felt that way. I get why she said these things to me. I get why, you know? So to give grace to those that we just don't understand the full picture. Yeah. 
You've got to for your mental health. You've got to for your heart's health, all of it. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of work there with your mom. Mm -hmm. A lot of work to, has she acknowledged that? She, uh, you know, she said that she would go to therapy, but like she'd want to take a friend with her that like they, so they could see that she's not that way anymore. And I'm like, that's, you're missing the point of therapy. It's not right about like who you are now. It's about like what happened to kind of like make you do that. Like what, what, like you have to see that that was like wrong and want to fix whatever part of you felt like that that was okay. And that's right. kind of like where my stance is right now is like, you know, I'll have a relationship with her if she'll go to therapy for herself. And of course she's talking about going to therapy with me, but I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't need to go to marriage counseling with my mom. And I mean, I guess I could go, go to therapy with her, but I like, I need her to do her own inner work. Like I can't hold right. her longer. Right. And there's grace her. to say, the fear. So I have a similar situation in my husband's family. Like there's just such an aversion to getting help because mm -hmm. there's a lie that somebody believes that they're, they should know better or, or that therapy's for broken, crazy people. Well, we're right. all broken yeah. and we've all been through stuff and it's not for the, it, it's for your own healing and mm -hmm. the ripple effect as we heal the powerful impact it has on those around us. Totally. And and, and so the compassion to say, okay, I have a similar uh, story about my mom is that she did see therapists in our life um, and I'm grateful for that, but there was healing available for her to deal with trauma, to mm -hmm. deal with the things that she had experienced in her life. And she said, I have spent, you know, 49 years, she died at 49, 40 years of her life not dealing with that stuff to try yeah. to bury it and, and move forward. She said, why would I spend the last however remaining months or days or years of my yeah. life digging it all up? Well, because it's made you sick. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because there's healing is not just emotional, right? <laughs> the, the wounds and the traumas that we hold inside and the bitterness, oh my gosh, unforgiveness yeah. rots your body. Yeah, it does. And that affects in huge ways, the relationships that you have around you. Mm -hmm. So we can have compassion for the people in our lives who refuse to seek that kind of healing because gosh, that, that must be really painful to yeah. be so afraid of it, to be so, you know, blinded by the lie yeah. that, that it would mean something yeah. or that it would hurt worse. Yeah. Cause we, we are, we become accustomed, you know, the devil, you know, mm -hmm. versus the devil, you don't. Right. So, so we are more comfortable with the pain that we're familiar with than the unfamiliar pain that see, you know, taking the bandaid off. Right. Right. I don't really care what's underneath it. It might be rotting and disgusting, but I, I'm yeah. scared to, to take it off. Totally. And it's not easy. It's not easy right. work not for the family. Right. So I can totally see why so many people would not want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. So you have such passion for seeing other people step into healing to receive the the value, to understand their worth, to uh, where, where did love waits for you come from? Where did that title, because that's your Instagram title, that's yeah. your podcast title. What does that mean to you? 
it means that God is like love and God is love. Um, it's like God waits for you. Love waits for you till you're ready. I mean, cause I was on my journey for a long, long time till I was finally ready to be loved, to be still. And it's not a source outside of us. You know, some people, you don't have to go to church to receive it. It's within all of us and we can access it. You know, I did ask Jesus into my heart when I was a little girl, but I don't want to say that that love, I don't want to exclude any religions. I don't want to exclude anyone. I just want everyone to feel like they belong whenever they, you know, come to my page or like hear my talks. Like I want them to feel like it's for everybody. Now, if God has an ulterior motive and he's like, well, you did write that book, Celia's eyes, and we're going to draw them in that way. You know, I could be an undercover, um, you know, disciple, if you will. I just don't want to like, cause I just, there's a lot of religious trauma I'm still working through. Sure. And, and that, and that's yeah. fair. The, yeah. the truth remains mm -hmm. love is for you. Yes. And it will, God for is you. for you. Right. Yep. Take, yes, I understand there are so many people who have, you know, religious, religious trauma, church wounding, all of that deconstruction, mm -hmm. all that you can call it whatever you want. But the, the truth is no matter who you are, right. and where you're from, what you've been through, what you identify as religious, yes. non-religious or anything else, you, there is love, deep, passionate love that mm -hmm. sacrificed for you, loves you. And the right. invitation is to receive it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no time limit. There's no expiration on it. And that's what I mean by the love waits for you part is because it took me a very long time, <laughs> like, like over 20 years of, you know, yeah. figuring this out to like, yeah, find. that's, that's the beauty. You, you know, one of the things that I love about the, the, the parable in the new Testament, the prodigal son, right? Mm -hmm. The prodigal son, the father in that story. So there's the father and he has two sons. One son is, quote, the good boy who mm -hmm. the older son, he stays on the farm and he's doing all the work and he's an overachiever to earn his father's love. And the younger son just demolishes his father's heart, takes his inheritance, leaves, goes off, squanders it all away, parties hard and finds himself <laughs> destitute with nothing. And he thinks, gosh, if I could just go back home, not to take mm -hmm. more of my father's money, but I'll work with the pigs. Like, yeah. like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I just want to go home again. And you know, one of the things that I love is that the father in this story doesn't chase after his son. Mm -hmm. He's just always there waiting for him. Mm -hmm. He doesn't force his son to come home. He doesn't, you know, like, so as parents too, you know, we want to grab tight and hold on and tether our children because we don't want them to go out and go away and get hurt and all of that. But, yeah. but to take the example of this, of this father in this parable to say, but he, he's always expectant and he looks for his son. He's when his son comes back, he sees his son coming from mm -hmm. a very long way. He's got his eye on his son and he's waiting and ready to receive him and then runs toward him as the son has made the decision to turn around and come back. The father meets his son with extreme lavish, you know, love and mm -hmm. affection and he goes toward the son. So we have permission in our lives. God is not a bully, right? We're not mm -hmm. tethered. We have choice. We have freedom. 
and we can go and experience yep. things without him. God is with us and he's always looking at us toward us. And the invitation is always look to me and I meet you there. Right. And that's the beauty of the love of God mm -hmm. is it's always directed at us. And, yep. and we have the choice to receive it or not, but it is always expectant and there more than what we could ever have, have earned. I love even, oh. even that it says, you know, the father like hikes up his, his dress, right. And he's like mm -hmm. running in his sandals and he's getting dirty. Cause he, God, nothing is going to stop the Lord from coming at us, mm -hmm. but it's the it's the turning back toward him, right? So you turned back and said, wait a minute, wait a minute here. I do want to receive your love, God. I, I want you. I I I need your help. I I want to receive something different because this hasn't been working for me. Right. Totally. And he met you in that. He did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. So so you now the passion of your life, right, is to, you, you you travel around. You just did a TED Talk. How freaking cool is that? That was, that was so amazing. I now, was, at, during this conversation, it's not out yet. We can't see it yet. It's not. But when does I, it come out? I hope very, very soon. So they have to get, Ted watches them and then, then uploads it to YouTube. And they say it usually takes about two months. Okay. Um. So, you know, but that gives me time to process it because I was so afraid I was going to be emotional. It's, it's, I love it so much. I, I didn't make, I was so afraid I was going to make a mistake. I was so afraid that I was going to get emotional. I didn't do any of those things. So I delivered it exactly as I had uh, planned. Wow. Was okay. So share with us. I followed your journey while you were doing it. And here's what's so funny. I think that just like the entertainment industry or the things that I do, you know, in radio or TV mm -hmm. or whatever, like, there's you just don't know like how things go on, how this works. But mm -hmm. I didn't know that there's a teleprompter. Is there a teleprompter? Um, Did you, like, were you reading it or like it's there for you or was it all memorized? Oh no, it was all memorized. Okay. But you get to practice. Yes. I practiced a lot. It was like 18 minutes. Um, but then six minutes of it was this poem at the very end was this poem that I was afraid because Ted has rules like you're not supposed to push any religious or spiritual agenda. Right. And um, I was given a poem by Jesus, God, whoever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> and whenever I was, you know, right after I'd written the book and it was just so prophetic to like my future. And it was, and anytime I read it at centers, like women are crying and they're like, can I have a copy? So I've even gone to Staples and made like a little copy that I've given because it's like, Oh, so many pages long. Like it takes me six minutes to say it. And, um, that was at the right. very end. So it was like 12 minutes of my talk, but it's still more like poetry than it is like a speech because, yeah. you know, I've made art from my pain. I've not, I'm not leaving. I'm leaving nothing to waste. I'm making it beautiful. I'm like making sense and meaning of it all. And sometimes there are moments like after I've gone and done something like that or done a media appearance where I essentially have to disassociate because I've got to think about the people that are receiving it. I have to be strong for them. Um, just like even in this, like I might have, I might have a trauma response later where, you know, it's almost like a free state because I have to be like where I dethaw 
because I have to be in control because I know to be the most effective, to really reach people, I have to inspire them that like they're not going to like stay stuck in those sad feelings. But what happens is, is after you give a talk like that and it, and it is very like, you know, there's no, I have a pageant coach and I'm like, well, don't the judges like need to see that? Like, won't they want to see that I'm past it? She's like, but you're not, and you're not ever going to be like, it's always going to be part of you, but you're like a rose who like, you know, grows its roots down under and then you've got the thorn or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, like you see, so she's like, so don't get it out of your head. that People have to think that you're past it. Cause a part of me feels like I need to show that. But the truth is like, you know, I'm very, anybody that listens to talk will know that like, I'm going to be working through some stuff forever, but you can thrive. You can have the family of your dreams. You can have the life of your dreams and still live with the pain. It's just, we're expanding. We're expanding to where we can like hold that pain and we're integrating to where we can still pick up our kids from school after we've had like an insane crying fest, like, Oh, like this is so intense. And then like, I'm going to kick up, pick up my kids and roll down the hill with them. You know, it's not going to hold me back. I'm just going to let them move through me. But I'm like, this is why I drank so much. This is why I didn't want to face this as a kid. Cause this is like intense. So anyway, the healing journey, right? Yes. So your Ted talk yeah. is coming out soon. But you did it, and that was so cool. And and now, now what? So you travel around and you do these writing experiences with people. Yeah. So I give them a copy of my first book, and I donate a journal and a pen, and I share my story. I go in a little bit. I don't make it so beautiful whenever I talk to them. These people, they need real. They need raw. They need real. They need to know that, like, I'm I was once sitting in their shoes. Yeah. So those are held a little differently. It's not like this performance or presentation. I would say more like performance. Um, And it's just like heart to heart, meaningful stuff. And I don't have my next event booked. I mean, I, that was a lot when I was in New York city, I, I did a meet and greet where I shared my story. I did uh, that later that afternoon, I did a TED talk or not a TED talk, uh, a workshop in uh, the Bronx. And then um, that month that was on a Friday and that Monday I did the talk. So like, I'm really giving myself a time to like, you know, process and like, you know, heal from you essentially re-traumatize yourself in a way, but it's in a good way because I get to go back and feel these feelings and be like, I understand you. I hear you like, cause there's a little girl inside these there's wounds and I've studied enough. Um, internal family systems is like my favorite thing to look into. Like if you ever want to study, it's very, it's like just understanding when those parts come up that you're like, Oh, this feels like a totally different personality. What is, it's like a unhealed part that's coming up. And uh, there's a part of me that came up after I gave the talk. And I don't know if this is interesting. You want to use this or not, but I'm just sharing with you because <laughs> this is our time to chat. But it was like a, um, it was like, like you're exposed. Like, um, this was scary. Um, this was a lot, but like, you don't hear that in the, in the talk because like, I know what I'm called to do. I'm fulfilling it, but there are feelings afterwards that I'm like, we're going to get through this. Like I'm having to tell myself, we're going to get through this. You know, God told me in my poem, like, you know, we're going to get through this. I'm by your side. I'm in your heart. I'm in your head. I'm in your spirit for I was never dead. And it's just like, 
you know, you'll, you'll get through this. You'll shine bright. You know, I'm just like repeat the things that have already been spoken to me like during those moments because it's, um, yeah. And then one day, one day I feel like, you know, when I was on Amber's podcast a while back, I was emotional just talking about what we're talking about right now. Cause I was very much like I hadn't done all this deep work. I believe there'll be a day where it doesn't, you know, make me kind of like a little sad for a couple of days after I share my story. Like, and I feel like the epiphany, the vision that God gave me a long time ago was like, I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to heal you through you going and helping others heal. You know, there's a really great book. It's an old book. Uh, it's called Wounded Healer. Mm-hmm. And the concept, like Jesus is a wounded healer, yeah. right? We are wounded healers. We are people who have been through it. You mm-hmm. have scars, but those scars are the things that help your mis- mission and message to help others. Mm-hmm. We are all that. And that is more effective when we recognize that yeah. than if we approach a situation like I've got it all together yeah. and I don't have any pain or wounds and I'm going to yeah. I'm here to help. Yeah. So your wounds are beautiful and the things that you, yes, they're tender, but the tenderness of a scar is the thing that is going to have compassion. That's the compassion and the drive for you to go out and help others. So I think it's a beautiful part. It is the thing that comes with the territory, right? To Mm -hmm. always have compassion for your younger self Yep. to say, I understand why the drugs, I understand why staying in an abusive relationship. I understand why you made the decisions you made because you were hurting. So to always remain compassionate toward yourself and Mm -hmm. to others, that's the most impact and beauty that you're going to bring to the world in general. So I think, I think it's a beautiful thing that you have to take time to say, I was vulnerable. I brought my my full self to this moment and it takes a little bit of rest and, and wrapping myself in love and wrapping myself in peace and, and rest so that I can be fueled to do it again. Let me, can I share something with you? Please. So in my, what I like to do is I want to inspire others in these workshops that I go to to transform their pain into their superpower through the healing power of love. And what I mean by that is essentially I have, you could say I reframed or God gave me the vision. God told me like, Hey, you're going to use this pain for a huge purpose. Like, but what happens is after whenever I'm in my, like, this is the, what the darkness looks like for me that I still deal with. You know, I know like that I was given that like calling But then afterwards, it's like you think whenever you're going through, whenever it's a little dark, you're like, was that just like in my, did I give that to myself to self-heal? Was that really from God? Like, was it all like, is this just to make me feel better at night? Or was, you know, am I, am I wrong for going and sharing with these people? You know, but then I, then I kind of was writing in my journal, my morning pages this morning. I was like, you know what, just like with religion and our faith. You know, whether it's true or not, what matters is how it affects our lives, how it makes our lives better, how we feel for believing in it. And like, it's better to believe in it, not be true than to not be believe in it. Um, And it isn't true, you know. Um, So I guess 
you know, I've just kind of had to come to terms with, because what basically what happens is, is whenever you think, well, what if this wasn't for this divine purpose? Then it goes back to that loss that never leaves that grief of like, this was senseless. Why did I experience this? You know, like if it wasn't for some other greater purpose, and that's what I want to teach the women is that it can be for that greater purpose. Because the alternative is if we don't look at it like that, if we don't look at it like that, then we're going to be sitting in our grief and be like, I lost so many years of my life. I lost myself that I detached from and all these things. So whether it's, whether it's true or not, like that's what I, that's what I, the principle I teach and that's what I live on is that, you know, I was predestined for it because God knew I was strong enough to live through it. Because otherwise, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like unbearable. I think what you're saying too is real. That's real. Mm -hmm. We all, you're on a journey and you're bold about sharing it. I think that's yeah. great because how many people have that thought regularly? Like, is this mm -hmm. real? Is it worth it? Am I crazy? <laughs> it, you know, I. those are all very real thoughts and feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's faith. Mm -hmm. That's faith. It's, we don't. You got to take, it's a risk, right? It's, it's belief and faith have to have action that go with it. Right. I, uh, somebody said this to me once and I really loved it, that the difference between believing and faith, you know, I believe that, that, that light is going to turn green and somebody else's light is going to turn red. I believe that the system mm -hmm. works at a four way intersection. Right. Faith says it's green. And I'm going to go through the intersection. Mm -hmm. Faith in what you believe, it takes action. And so it's okay to question it. It's okay. Yeah. We're, on, we're all on a journey. We yeah. make statements. We wonder, we question. And at any given moment, <laughs> you and I could have this conversation in six months and you might be, you know, even further down the line. Yeah. And, and it's all right. So that's the beauty. The Lord's not afraid of our questions. Mm -hmm. God, love is a safe place <laughs> for mm -hmm. us to explore for us to question, for us to share like dangerous things. For one of the invitations during this month of forgiveness is to say, there might be things that we need to deal with in our lives where we have to forgive God. Mm -hmm. And some people would say, oh gosh, you're going to get struck by lightning, right? Yeah. Because how can you forgive God, right? But forgiveness isn't really about what the other person did. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do something wrong. Like as a parent, right? right. You, you, you say, no, I'm going to yank you back, you know, pull you away from that, that bus mm -hmm. that's coming toward you. Yeah. But the, you're mad at your mom because she didn't let you go there. Right. Mm -hmm. You're angry and you're bitter and you're frustrated because they didn't let you whatever. Yeah. They didn't do anything wrong. They were parenting. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Or whatever. Right. There's. Yeah certainly flaws in our parenting, but still, you know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> but you could be very angry about it. That's fair. That's okay. You can have anger, mm -hmm. but to recognize that there is invitation to forgive, even if the person didn't actually do anything wrong, it's your experience of it is mm -hmm. what we have to deal with. Yeah. So to even say, I'm going to go on a journey to forgive God. I'm going to go on a journey to forgive myself and those around me. God is not afraid of us saying, I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I'm angry. And he draws us near to say, and you are safe to process 
all of it. Love it. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Love waits, right? Yeah. I didn't get emotional this whole time, but I have a little tears in my eyes. There it is. There <laughs> it is. I've done my job. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really grateful for your sharing your journey, right? Yeah. Wherever you're at, your story is valuable. Thank you for the work that you're doing to, you. to, as a wounded healer, to mm-hmm. go around and give those that you encounter permission to write mm-hmm. because people need to hear our stories. Yeah. Your story, your book, Celia's Eyes, can be found anywhere on Amazon or anywhere else you'd buy yeah. a book. And and this is also encouragement for those of you listening who feel like you have a story that you want to write. I, I can't tell you how many times because you've written a book, I've written a book. I, you say, oh, I have a book. The number one thing someone says is, oh, I, I want to write a book. Yeah, I want to do it. I think I'm supposed to tell my story. Do it. Yeah, it's not about who buys it, who reads it. It do it. Get it out. Just start writing. For you, it happened in three days, right? (laughs) Like for me, it was a long journey. But but the reality is, it's cathartic to put it out on paper. Yeah, it's not really about the other side of it yet. So if you are wondering and you're feeling like if maybe I should. Do it, write it out, get it going because there is such healing in it. And uh, so they can find your book. Is your podcast still active? It is. And let me tell you um, with the book, there's two covers, the one with the four lines of fake cocaine. I have (laughs) copies of that that I donate to centers. Um, The one online you'll find, I don't, none of that money comes back to me or my nonprofit. So, and plus it doesn't have the most recent uh, branded cover with the note from the author where I talk about, naming what happened in that one chapter, what calling what it was and saying how I advocated for myself. So I'd prefer that, um, you would, if you did purchase it, you bought the one with the, you'll know the difference. One's got, you know, a darker cover than the other. And you want to go for the, the lighter, more updated version (laughs) depicting how I feel on this. (laughs) Yes. But people can also get it from you, I would assume. Right. So love waits for you at Instagram. Yes. Um, love waits for you. And then you, or you could email lead with love, intl at gmail.com. I'm right now I'm like offering, you know, I'll sign a copy for $50 tax deductible donation, um, to the nonprofit. So, um, but then, so of course it would be much cheaper on Amazon, but if you felt led to donate, like that'd be getting something, from it. Um, yeah. and then, uh, yeah. And if people want to reach out to you to have you come and do a seminar, right? Yeah. I would love that. Uh, lead with love. intl at gmail.com, gmail.com. The, the workshops are completely complimentary depending on like travel for you yeah. know, seminars. We can discuss that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're beautiful. Thank you. Inside and out. Your heart is beautiful. Your eyes are beautiful. You have incredible hair. Oh, thank you. Good Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. But ultimately your story is beautiful and I'm grateful that you shared it. Thank you for trusting uh, us, me with your journey. And I'm really grateful uh, to Amber, Amber Lynn, Mm -hmm. the most incredible human who we adore uh, for a a connection. And uh, I'm really, really honored that you would join me today. Thank you so much. And yes, we love Amber and from one Bowers to another. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Joybringer podcast. I would love to connect with you. Find me on social media or on my website at seasonedhours.com. For more information on how to live like the gospel is good news, check out my book, The Joybringer Challenge. You can buy it anywhere books are sold or on my website.
Thanks again for listening. And hey, I love you.